May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things they don't really tell you about, but when you're preparing to become a priest or a deacon, is that when you're out and about with your caller, you get all sorts of people who will come up and talk to you and tell you all sorts of opinions that you never asked for. I remember being at the Atlanta airport one time and a man uh, who needed some help. I, we had lunch together at Chick-fil-A. I, I'd never met him before, just walked by and he engaged me and we started talking and I bought him lunch and uh, he started going into this very intricate theory about the number 23 in scripture and it was very, it was a lot more than I wanted to know, that's for sure. Um, so you never know what you're going to get when you go out in public and that's part of the beauty of it. You know, you, you get to meet people, you get to talk to people, hopefully share the gospel with them, point them towards our Lord. Um, but there, there are no shortage of bad takes that you hear from, from people in these instances. And one of the ones I've heard more than, more than once is people will say something like, well, I really like the New Testament God a lot more than the Old Testament God. You know, the Old Testament God, he's kind of legalistic. He's kind of mean. Um, I really like that Jesus guy in the New Testament. He's a little less legalistic. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus doesn't really afford us the opportunity to take such a position. Uh, right? So on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the Old Testament and he spiritualizes it. So he says himself in the sermon, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not pass away until all the law be fulfilled. Now, our Lord takes the Old Testament law and he elevates it to an even higher form than what we see in the Old Testament. And at first we might think, oh, great, it's not so legalistic, but we don't get off the hook that easy. Jesus actually takes us to the very heart of the law. And for Jesus, the spirit of the law is about the thing that the law points to. So, for example, it's not just enough to not commit adultery, right? It's good to not commit adultery. We shouldn't do that. But Jesus reminds us we shouldn't even think with lust about someone who's not our spouse. Well, that's a little bit of a higher standard, isn't it? And he's very clear that if you do lust after someone in your heart, well, then you're committing a kind of adultery. Now, the same is true for Jesus when it comes to the idea of anger or hatred towards another. Of course, it's, it's good not to lash out physically at someone, but Jesus demands more than that from us. And I actually think that St. John may have had the Sermon on the Mount in mind when he was writing our epistle reading this morning. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Ye have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So for Jesus, and I think for John as well, there really is no middle ground. You either love or you hate your brothers and sisters, depending on whether you've passed from death into life. For John, that may be his way of speaking about baptism. If we love others, we know that we're spiritually alive because we've been made. We pass from death to life. And if we do that, we spread love. We spread life through love to others. 
However, if we're dead in sin, we will inevitably spread death, St. John tells us. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So hatred then is a kind of murder, just like lust is a kind of adultery. And it should be pointed out that for St. John, hatred is not just shown in positive outbursts of anger. It's not just yelling certain four-letter words and making certain gestures at people who cut you off on the highway. Rather, it can be exhibited through sins of omission. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, if you have the means and you have the opportunity to help someone in need and you don't, then John sees you as guilty as of the sin of hatred and anger as someone who maybe does make those gestures and yells those four-letter words. Now, the opposite of hatred, according to St. John, is love. Love in the scriptures is what we call a theological virtue along with faith and hope. The theological virtues stand in contrast to the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Because cardinal virtues can be attained by humans, whether they're Christians or not. You don't have to be baptized in order to be prudent, or to be just, or to be brave, or to be moderate. But you cannot attain the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love outside of God's grace, his gift to us. And these are infused in us by the Holy Ghost, just like a smoldering coal can become a fire when properly tended or accidentally left out in the bed there by the door. That's an inside joke. Um, When that's properly tended, then that coal can become a flame, right? Just in the same way, the grace that God imparts to us can flourish if it's tended correctly, tended through the sacraments, tended through prayer, tended through good works. And so in this way, John tells us that love is a sign. That's how we know we've traversed from death to life. God has given us a new life in our baptisms, and an outworking of that is that we begin to love. And the object of our love is first and foremost God. But love of God can only be expressed through love for others. That's why we recite the summary of the law so often. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and Love your neighbor as yourself. If you only have one of those, well, then the whole thing falls apart. And so St. John exhorts his audience. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky's book, The Brothers Karmasov, has a character who says, The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. And we all know people who are kind of like this. Maybe they really care about causes, you know, maybe good causes. They have all the right bumper stickers on their car. They attend fundraisers. They write letters to their congressmen. They sign petitions, etc. These aren't bad things at all. In fact, they're quite good if you're doing them for the right reasons. But, but it can be easier to love a cause or to love an idea rather than messy people. You know, ideas don't have feelings. Ideas don't really offend us, right? They can't, they can't puzzle us with their behavior. But people can, and that makes it very hard sometimes to love them. John tells us 
that we need to avoid empty words. It's not enough to say, I love you, I love everyone, things like that, if it's not put into practice, in the concrete, in the, in the instances that we have in front of us. And we all know this. It's intuitive, isn't it? If you're married and you keep telling your spouse, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you never do anything sacrificially for them, well, do you, are your words really true? Similarly, God doesn't want just our words. Our love is demonstrated in action. Now, of course, it's easy to love people who are easy to love. The problem is, I think experience tells us that there are always people in our lives who are difficult to love. Well, what about them? I don't think John gives us a a, a clause that lets us get out of loving those difficult people. But there are a couple pieces of practical advice that we can follow in order to do that. And the first comes from St. John 7.24, when Jesus tells the disciples, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You might also remember when God tells the prophet Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. There are always people who are going to rub us the wrong way. My mom calls those people sandpaper Christians. You know, they're a little rough on the edges. Um, that they smooth us out. It's for our own good. But if we can understand where someone who might be tough to love comes from, the context in which that made them who they are, well, then maybe, just maybe, we begin to find them a little bit easier to love. Why did that person cut me off in traffic? Well, my initial thought is they're just a jerk. They don't deserve you know, my attention. They're, I'm going to honk the horn and, and say some words at them and that kind of thing. That's certainly the easy way out, but, but what if we consider it deeper than that? What if that person is having a really bad day? What if that person is in a hurry to get somewhere that they really need to get to? You know, these are things that we could think of to contextualize that action and maybe make it easier to love them, right? Um, and so as we, as we encounter those sandpaper Christians, those people who are a little bit rough on the edges, contextualizing them might help us find it easier to forgive them for the way that they are, And to remember that they're human beings for whom our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died, just like he died for us. And sometimes, just like it was with us and God loving us, sometimes we have to love people into being lovable. And so with that in mind, it's also important that as we're contextualizing them and as we're maybe giving them the benefit of the doubt, that we also pray for them, especially those people that we might think of as enemies. Now, I remember my prior bishop Uh, surprised some people one time when he said that he prayed for the members of ISIS every day. And of course, he didn't mean he prayed for their flourishing in their mission. He prayed that they would come to know God as revealed in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every day. And so when we find ourselves with people who we oppose, who we might consider as enemies, who we don't get along with, It's important. Those are exactly the people that we need to be lifting up in prayer the most. Because when we pray for people, when we offer that context, when we really understand the love that God has shown to us, well, then God can transform our hatred into love, just like he can turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.